the songs for the journey, the Psalms. Beautiful uh, prayers and songs and poetry of Scripture, isn't it? It's been fun. Uh, several of you have mentioned the enjoyment of going through the Psalms here in the summer. I, it has been a blessing for me, too, to dig into some very familiar Psalms and some new ones. Today, again, may sound familiar to your ears, but one will uh, we'll recognize we don't, don't say together in church as much. A few years ago, uh, Outside Magazine, uh, which calls itself America's leading active lifestyle and adventure travel magazine, uh, they published a story on the top 10 wilderness survival stories. They called it, I, I Will Survive. Top 10 wilderness survival stories. So I was looking through these stories, some amazing ones. Some of them will sound familiar to you probably because they're that, that incredible. For, here is one of them. 1992, 25-year-old Colby Coombs uh, and his friends are hiking up a mountain in Alaska and suddenly a storm comes and an avalanche is triggered on the mountain. Incredible avalanche. His friends buried in the avalanche. When he wakes and regains consciousness, he's dangling from his climbing rope. He has uh, broken two vertebrae in his neck. He's got a broken shoulder blade and a fractured ankle. And for four days, Colby manages to put all that tragedy out of his mind and just think about survival. He walks down the mountain and miles across uh, to safety and survives. An amazing, amazing story. Uh, another one, 1983. Uh, again, 23 years old. Something about those 20s. <laughs> uh, Tammy Ashcroft and her husband set sail from Tahiti to San Diego. Uh, they were asked to bring a boat from Tahiti to San Diego, and so they are sailing. Things are going well. Probably 40-foot boat, something like that, maybe 50 Things are going well until Hurricane Raymond catches up to them and they are thrown into the storm. When Tammy regains, oh, the boat flipped end over, not sideways, end over end several times in that storm. Uh, when Tammy regained consciousness, again, she had lost her husband and uh, she had lost the mast. She figures out a way to rig a sail uh, spends two days looking at maps and stars and compasses and everything and figures out generally where she is in, in the ocean, finds some currents that will guide her, and sure enough, finds Hawaii and lands there safely after 42 days in the ocean. Amazing. Uh, many of you will probably remember uh, another remarkable story. In 1971, Julie Ann Kopke was traveling with her mother and some other people over Peru in an airplane. Lightning uh, randomly hits the airplane. It bursts into flames, disintegrates, and they all fall from two miles in the air. Julie survives the fall, uh, strapped to her airplane seat. When she regains consciousness, she looks around the jungles of Peru, recognizes she's the only one. She discovers a birthday cake that had survived the fall as well, that she was going to take to her dad, who they were going to see. And for three days, she eats birthday cake, and for seven days after that, nothing. Looks, remembers survival skills her father had taught her, looks for streams that lead to tributaries, that lead to rivers, and eventually finds her way to civilization and survives. 
Amazing. The stories go on through this article in Outside Magazine. We could add now uh, the story that's been made into a movie. Remember this? 127 Hours is currently uh, an amazing story. And you remember when it came out. I do too. I won't go into detail, but you can look it up if you need to. But remember Aaron Ralston, who was out in Utah canyons, fell, got a boulder trapped on his arm, and had to make a serious decision about whether uh, he was going to get out of there and what he was going to leave behind to, to survive. And, so, and he did, and he survived in an amazing story. Now it's a, a film. Uh, amazing stories of survival. And we're drawn to these stories, aren't we? These, these survival in the wild, in the wilderness kinds of stories. As, uh, as gut-wrenching and adrenaline-producing and scary as they are, we, we find that we're drawn to these kinds of stories because, well, they, they inspire us, don't they, with with the strength and perseverance of the human spirit. And we go away thinking, you know, uh, one, that'll never happen to me. But if it did, you know, we humans, maybe when pressed, we, we, can, we can do it too. These are great stories to hear. They're uplifting. We need to hear these kind of inspiring stories. But there's something I wonder too. I wonder if there is also... Um, Maybe a downside to hearing these kinds of stories over and over. Because I wonder if after hearing all these heroic and incredible stories of people's wilderness survival, it leaves us a little more impatient for the kind of average, everyday wilderness experiences that we have. right? Because we all have a wilderness experience at some point in our lives. But our stories don't always make great movies, do they? When we go through the wilderness, it's very rare that the kind of heroism and survival that we make is worth, you know, Hollywood's not knocking on the door offering us hundreds of thousands of dollars to make our story into a movie. And so maybe seeing all these makes us a little impatient for those kinds of stories. But you've experienced the wilderness, right? Here's what I mean by by the wilderness. It's interesting, right? It could be the wilderness. We've been talking about these different places in the journey. The wilderness could be mountains. It could be desert. It could be the ocean. It could be the jungle. It could be the forests. But a wilderness, I looked up the word again just to check on how, and the, the dictionary was helpful. The wilderness is uncultivated, uninhabited, and inhospitable. The, the wild. In fact, the word, this was interesting. Wilderness comes from the Old English for wild deer places. So the places of the wild, the places that are uncultivated, uninhabited. In other words, the wilderness is a place where things don't go as planned. They're, they're not very good for, for life, full of, you know, when life throws us those unwelcome surprises and things like that. The wilderness, I think, is, is a place where there are more questions than there are answers. Have you been in times like that? Questions like, why? Or how long is this going to last? Or what are we going to do now? Or is anybody out there? I think those are the wilderness experiences in our life. The, the wilderness above all, is, is lonely. 
It's a place where there, there may be a million people around. Have you been in that where you're, you can be in a huge crowd, there's people all around, and yet you feel this intense loneliness. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody gets it. Nobody is there to talk to me or to listen to me. And maybe it's lonely because we're generally, as people, just not that good at understanding other people's wilderness experiences. Maybe when they're not the glamorous or exciting or heroic uh, or, or incredible wilderness experiences, we quickly get either bored or uncomfortable. Have you ever tried talking to someone? Maybe it's a friend or a spouse or uh, a pastor, and you're trying to tell them about this deep inner struggle that you're going through. It, it's, it's one of those life things that is tough. And you're hoping someone will be able to listen and just understand. And as you get a little darker or more down in your descriptions, you discover the attention span getting a little jittery. And it, within 30 seconds, that person has jumped in with some solutions or some answers or some easy statements like, well, you know, it, it's going to be okay. I'm sure sorry to hear that. But, you know, just keep, keep faith. Keep, keep hope alive. You're going to be all right. Have you been there? tough, isn't it? Because you just wish that person could listen a little bit longer. We do this, spouses, husbands, we do this. (laughs) We jump in too quickly with answers. Have you ever been that person that answered too quickly with a solution? Because when you hear people going through really tough stuff that you don't have answers for, it doesn't feel good, especially for some of us who like to have answers for things. It's tough. Wilderness can be lonely. And tough to hear about. And I wonder if that's maybe why we spend a little less time, especially actually in church, with some of the psalms that make up a huge majority, uh, not majority, a huge percentage of the psalms. Psalms of lament. Tough songs, wilderness kinds of psalms that aren't very happy and upbeat and full of, of joy. Today is a classic one, number 13. Let's uh, look at this. Um, you, you'll recognize some of these. And if you have your Bibles, you're welcome. please follow along. Listen to the words of this psalm. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. This is the heartfelt, very honest and real song or psalm or poem or prayer of someone who is experiencing the wilderness, isn't it? kind of beautiful in the words, really, because it's so honest and so heartfelt and so deep. At the top, probably, of, your, of, your, of the psalm in your Bibles, it will say a couple of things. One of them is, of David. So maybe your Bibles will expand it to a psalm of David. And that can mean a couple of things. It can mean either it's a psalm by David or a psalm in memory or in the tradition of David. Either way, we're meant to think of the great King David, when we hear this psalm, the man after God's own heart, the, the great King 
of Israel. Maybe we're meant to imagine things about David's life, like, remember young David, anointed by Samuel to be the successor of Saul, but he's not there yet, and so here he is, maybe camped out under the stars, running for his life, wondering, how long, I'm, I'm your anointed king, how long, God, am I supposed to run like this? How long will my life be in danger? Or maybe it's a time when he was king already. Perhaps it was a time after losing his, his son or worrying about his kingdom or sending his armies off to war. And he's wrestling with these thoughts, these hard things and questions. And he asks. If we're honest and really listen to this psalm, we have to admit, right, that these, these are quite pointed and direct questions for God, right? How long, God, do I have to to deal with this? Will you forget me, God? Will you not answer me? Do I have to go through this forever? God, if you don't help me, you know my enemies, who are also your enemies, are going to be very excited, and you're not going to look very good, and neither am I. Look at at verse 2. This is powerful, powerful language. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? If you had those sleepless nights or that thing that just every time you have a quiet moment, it pops into your head and you know your stomach tenses up or your heart sinks or beats faster. Even if you're one of those people that's good at sort of shoving it into the back of your head, it's still there and you can never fully be at peace. How long is this stuff going to be with me? God, where's the peace that passes understanding? God, where's the help that I hear about every week and that is promised in the Bible? Powerful stuff from the psalmist. But here, here's what I find even more fascinating. Also at the top of that psalm, in addition to of David, it has another superscription, another mark. And this is from the Hebrew text. This is original to the psalm. It says, to the choir master or to the director of music, something like that your Bible will say. Which means that, whether written by David or in memory of David or by whomever, the psalm is composed for a very specific purpose. And that is to be sung in worship, in in church. (laughs) To the choir director. Here is a song that is going to be part of Israel's worship experience. And it goes like this. You can imagine the choir director receiving that and going, really? You know, how is this going to fit in? It was intended to be sung by the community when they gathered together before God. A psalm for the community, for the choir director, for worship. So, in fact, let's read this together and see what it sounds like all together. Okay, let's read together. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long with my enemies triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. If you're following in the Bibles, you know there are two more verses and we'll come to those. But it's interesting, isn't it? It's not something we do often when we come to church is to express collectively, especially, these 
kinds of feelings of despair and doubt and even complaints against God. Yet, sure, we, we understand people can do that in the privacy of their own hearts, maybe at home, but, you know, there's that, I think there's that tendency for us to say, when you come to church, it's a place for, for joy and excitement, and, man, if you could do that, this kind of stuff, maybe in your quiet time during the week, that would be a little better. We tend to get nervous and uncomfortable if we start talking about those things that don't have good answers where we can just sort of hand people and say, it's, it's better. I do. Uh, things that raise difficult questions. Uh, sometimes uh, we all, I think, are tempted uh, to give the, the easy answers like, well, I'm sure God knows what he's doing, and uh, that's the mystery of God, which are true statements. God knows what God is doing, and God is mysterious, and we don't understand everything God is doing, but in some situations, those are not helpful statements right? Sometimes the easy answers are too quick. I imagine that if, uh, imagine if the psalmist, after finishing this song like that, someone came up and said, well, you know, it's the mystery of God, so he's, I'm sure he's with you. Uh, (laughs) And maybe someone did, and maybe that's why he's writing this psalm, because he's heard those kind of answers too many times, so he's just down and feeling like, God, when are these people going to stop giving me those kinds of answers? (laughs) sometimes it's easier for us sometimes it's easier for us to just kind of gloss over these things because the questions sometimes in life are hard aren't they the questions are raised and and uh it's hard to talk directly about these experiences especially directly to god but when we react like that we're missing something incredibly beautiful about this psalm and not even before we get to the last few verses which are coming There is something, if we're listening carefully, just beneath the surface of this part of the psalm that is very important, that is actually quite beautiful. Something that we can learn from in a a big way. When the psalmist addresses, notice this, when the psalmist addresses God directly with these questions and wonderings and doubts and complaints, he's doing something important. He's addressing God directly. That's the part I think we miss sometimes. When the psalmist goes to God with complaints and questions and longings and wonderings, he's still going to God with those questions. And that's that's a big deal. In addressing God boldly and honestly, he's saying something very important. He's revealing some beliefs that are underlying that. He wouldn't go and address God if he didn't believe that God listens to him. He wouldn't address God like this and spend time writing this psalm if he didn't believe that God cares about what he's saying. He wouldn't go to all these great lengths and address God like this if he didn't believe that God can get involved in his life. God listens. God cares. God can get involved. That's the foundation of a psalm like this. That's the belief behind a psalm like this. God listens, God cares, God can get involved. That is faith. So really, it's a deep faith that is behind someone who can ask God questions, someone who can register complaints with God like this. Even before we get to the final couple verses, this is certainly a psalm of deep faith. One writer describes this kind of this kind of faith, but this kind of complaining and this kind of wrestling with God and questioning as 
the, the questioning or the, the complaints of a lover's quarrel. Those of you who are involved in a loving relationship, uh, do people with wonderful loving relationships ever quarrel? <laughs> do, do they ever have arguments with each other? Do they ever? No. Yeah, I've seen a lot of no's coming. Yeah. Okay. About authenticity and honesty in church. Uh, do, do they ever have complaints against each other that they bring to one another? Can those quarrels be uh, energetic at times? Yes, right? But when those, those fights, let's call them, right, are done within the boundaries, arguments, disagreements, are done within the boundaries of commitment and trust and love, that's what makes them sometimes so, so passionate and so energetic is knowing I can bring this complaint because we have this trust with each other. We've committed to one another. So I'm going to be able to be very honest with you right now and tell you how I'm feeling about things, right? So really, these are the kind of questions, these very honest, authentic, heartfelt questions. These are the questions of a committed, loving relationship, a relationship of of trust and, and deep love. So how much... More true is that for us, not only as individuals, but as a a community coming together where this psalm says, here's a song for your worship time when you're gathered together before God. Do we trust so much that God is listening and caring and able to get involved that we're able to also bring questions to God? Is our worship together a place for the kind of mature amazing relationship with God that we can express the hurt and the doubt and the frustrations that we at times have. Are our gatherings together safe places where people can be honest and, and authentic and we don't just jump in with quick answers for them and we listen? After all, that, remember, is the sign of a, of a healthy, a vibrant, a committed relationship, right? One that's okay with honesty and authenticity wherever that, wherever that leads. So I think perhaps it's this kind of underlying foundational relationship that helps us explain what comes next. Because what comes next is, is surprising. We've gone through four verses, and suddenly in verse 5, what comes? Yeah. Let's read this together, because this is beautiful. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for He has been good to me. And many people who comment on this psalm wonder what happened between verses 4 and 5. How do we get here? When we're in the back praying before the service, Gerardo uh, prayed a beautiful prayer and among other things prayed that I would speak eloquently about the love of God. (laughs) What a prayer for every sermon, right? To speak eloquently about the love of God. And this psalmist is doing just that. He is speaking eloquently about the love of God because I think, to me, it moves me even more deeply when it comes after verses 1 through 4. He's been very authentic. He hasn't said, life is so good, so I praise God. He said, God, where are you? I don't feel you near me. I'm wondering what's happening, but we have this ongoing relationship. And so I know from experience that you have 
unfailing love. There's that chesed again. Mercy, kindness, loving kindness, all these beautiful things of God. The psalmist is speaking eloquently about the love of God by saying, I don't know what's going on right now and I don't understand it. And God, frankly, I've got some questions for you. But at the same time, I will sing of your unfailing love. I trust that. I rejoice in your salvation. I know it's coming. People wonder, well, maybe this was a psalm that was composed over time. He prayed this prayer and then God answered his prayer and so he finished it with five and six. And that may be true in the history of the psalm, but it's written, remember, for worship. And in worship, we sing it all at once. There's no time between verses four and five for God to answer those prayers. And so it's a lesson for us in incredible faith, I think. That's why we need psalms like this in our worship because it says, let's sing all at the same time. God, we've got questions for you and God, we trust in your unfailing love. What a beautiful, beautiful faith that is in this psalm. What a mature faith. There's not always rescue right away from our times of wilderness, is there? Not always. But there is something even more amazing than one of these great into-the-wild survival stories, inspiring as they are. What's more amazing than that is the gift of being able to sing songs of praise and joy even when we're in the midst of a wilderness. The freedom to be able to ask God very hard questions and at the same time express faith and love in God's loving kindness. That, it seems to me, is the most heroic and the most daring of all. So this morning, church family and friends, if you are finding yourself in the wilderness, as we all do at some time, may you remember the steadfast love of God. The love of God that never fails, as this psalmist eloquently speaks of and sings of. And may you feel the freedom to also be honest with God because to address God is already to believe several things. God's listening, God cares, and God is able to get involved. God is good. And also, church family, we want this time to be that kind of experience, don't we? The, the full-bodied, mature faith where, where we can come together, we can ask hard, honest, sometimes raw questions, and at the same time express those beautiful, deep, heartfelt, and joyous praises. So as we go today, may you go in the full assurance of God's unfailing, merciful love.